Welcome to the Draft Nut Podcast. It's Jared Feinberg, and alongside me is Devin Jackson, and we are your hosts for today's episode. Devin has to leave the podcast early today as he's got a meeting here shortly. So it'll be myself and our special guest that we have here today. But Devin, how's your, how was your Wednesday? Uh, were you able to get any prospects that you wanted to watch yesterday? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was able to watch a few guys, uh, yesterday. Uh, try to get some initial viewings. I got to watch Sam Cosme from Texas, uh, tackle out of Texas. Uh, very impressed with what I saw from him. I know his 2019 tape wasn't exactly the best, but, um, 2020 he definitely improved a ton. Uh, looked like a, a potential first round tackle, uh, maybe early second round. So I came away very impressed with Cosme. And then, um, in addition to that, uh, I took a look at Trey Sermon. I know that he kind of uh, emerged on the scene really later in the season, but very impressed with his contact balance, explosiveness in the hole. Um, someone that uh, probably is going to be in probably a, a late day two, early day three pick. Um, but uh, depending on his testing, I think we'll kind of see a ceiling or, or, or whatnot. But uh, very impressed with those two guys. So I got to take a look at both of them and came away impressed for sure. Uh, but I'm, other than that, man, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how you doing today, man, Jared? I'm not doing too bad. Um, was stressed out yesterday during the afternoon, during the evening with homework and whatnot, just trying to get that knocked out of the way. Um, was able to watch some J.C. Horn tape. Um, I'm not sure if you saw my timeline this morning, but it was littered with clips of J.C. Horn. Dude, I love him. Falling in love with him as a prospect. Um, we'll talk about We'll talk about Horn here in a little bit with our special guest. Joining us is senior NFL draft analyst over at the Draft Network and host of both Draft Dudes and Lockdown Bills. It's Joe Marino. Joe, good morning, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, uh, Devin. Thank you, Jared. Uh, looking forward to talking with you guys, and I appreciate you guys being patient with my schedule. It's been a grind, uh, and uh, been looking forward to this chance to, to talk with you guys. Yeah, man, we're we're very excited to have you on. Um, wanted to try and get you on here for um, over, over the last month or so. Um, we've always actually wanted to have you on um, on this show, um, and we're really excited to have you on. So, Joe, I, um, you you and Kyle have you and Kyle Krabs um, do great work at the Draft Network and whatnot. And I know Kyle um, explained a little bit of how you. Um, you, Kyle, Jordan, and uh, Dre Harris um, do your scouting and evaluating draft prospects for this draft cycle. So just kind of remind the listeners, if they don't know already, how you guys are doing this draft cycle. So the draft network, we bill ourselves as front office 33. And in doing that, we wanted to mirror our operation after an NFL front office. And so uh, we've done that from at least the scouting side of things where – We've we've taken the country and we split it up into regions, and so we have four full time guys, and it's within those four guys um, you have your region. So, for example, mine is the ACC, the AAC. I have half the Sun Belt, LSU, South Carolina, and Tennessee. So, starting in May of last year, you know you focused in on your region. You did all your summer uh, write ups uh, to get your preseason scouting done. Then. During the season, that's what you focused on, those those teams. So instead of watching Ohio State and you know Michigan or whatever, I know that game didn't happen, but hypothetically, I was watching Wake Forest and Duke, right? So just focused in on my teams. And then after the season, we took the last eight weeks and we did final film write-ups. So that's what I've been working on for the last eight weeks on players from my region. Well, now we're at the point where everyone's done all the players for their region and now we're doing cross-checks. So we're going back to the top of the list, and everybody is watching all of the same players on the same day so that we can get through all of them before the draft and have four different grades that go into it that are averaged out to give us our consensus grade for each player. It's been really cool because not only do we have myself, Kyle Krabs, Jordan Reed, and Dre Harris, uh, we also have Brentley Wiseman, who's former NFL scout, to go with Dre Harris, former NFL scout, then we have two players, two NFL players uh, that are uh, interning with us, um, and uh, they're watching players and giving feedback as well. And so every day we're having scouting meetings, which we've, we've been we have every day no matter what. But right now the focus of those scouting meetings are, all right, 
We watch these three players. Why are we grading them the way we are? And um, we we share what we learned about the player and what we unpacked, and we discuss each and every player, which has been it's been really good, man. When when you watch a player and you know he's from your region and you have to present that to those people, right? You better make sure everything's been uncovered because I got to look at Dre Harris in the eye and you know he's I know he's going to ask me questions. I'll tell you what, what's, what's really weird is one of the, you know one of the NFL players that we have, you know I I did a player that played his position at his school and and I'm talking about him to this guy, you know what I mean? And you you you're it's really added that extra layer of you better scout like you're afraid you miss something because you're accountable to these people. And so man, the process has been so good. Uh, I've never felt better about the depth of the work that we're doing. And I know right now it feels weird that I'm just now getting to other players in other regions because at this point, you know, I'm usually familiar with 200, 250 players. And, um, you know, so I'm just now going back and watching, you know, like Devonta Smith and, and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson because they weren't in my region. But, uh, you know, being able to do that while simultaneously coming to these meetings and talking it over with these guys, man, it's been, it's been so good. It's been so refreshing and I really feel good about our process. And I mean, you got a lot of, you got a lot of different opinions that are on the table. And I think through that and through those discussions, we've really come to good consensus, uh, opinions on these players and there's disagreement. You know, I mean, we're at the top of the class right now in cross check. So we're watching blue chippers. Uh, but I know like even within that, we've had some disagreement and I'm sure as we get down the line, and, you know, players are more incomplete, right? They're not top of the first round type picks. You know, we're going to continue to have those good discussions and, um, you know, learn from each other. And we all have that right mentality. You know, it's not, you know, you, you want, you're on social media and it's like just people bickering and arguing about football players. And it's like, this isn't good discussion. Nobody's benefiting from this. Nobody's learning anything. You're just like, you just have so much confidence in what you're saying against what somebody else is saying, and there's no benefit. There's nothing good that comes of this. This is actually good discussion about prospects where we're just trying to get a complete perspective on the guys, and I, I know I rambled a lot there, but I love what we're doing, and I love the product that we're delivering. There is nothing wrong with what you just said about Twitter and everyone bickering at each other. You know, hey, look, I'm guilty of it. You. Joe, you've probably seen on my timeline of me bickering at others. You know, I'm guilty, and I think that's a little bit of, you know, my immaturity being 19 years old, just not having that maturity yet, but still learning. And, you know, I'm always wanting to have those conversations. And, you know, I'm still learning throughout this process. But what you guys have going on at the Draft Network and what you just told me, I mean, that that's absolutely phenomenal, like, Really, some really, really cool stuff that you guys are doing. Um, and like that, that's something like, you know, other, I know there are other websites out there that cover the NFL draft as well that I, I believe they do similar things as well. Um, I know, I know, um, quite a few people that work at, um, that work for Sports Illustrated with the NFL draft Bible now that they're come together and whatnot. Um, some great people over there that do some great draft analysis as well. Um, here at Blue Chip Scouting, we, we were always sharing our opinions on prospects. Um, I was sharing my opinions on uh, J.C. Horn this morning, trying to get his tape out of the way. Um, just a really impressive prospect, and we'll get into him again later here on this show. But, Joe, let's talk about your Buffalo Bills. They had a phenomenal year. Josh Allen balled out, turning into one of the better quarterbacks in this league. And I know, and I heard you talking about on the podcast yesterday when you and Kyle were talking about or were discussing who will get the fifth year option, who won't from the 2018 draft class. Um, and you know, Josh Allen, he has that one, he has this one excellent year and can he continue to produce like that? Like he has, like he did this past season. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see how he responds after that second half against Kansas City in the AFC Championship game. So what what are your expectations with Josh Allen now that he still have now that he still has Brian DeBall as his offensive coordinator? And basically, most of the weapons are back. 
you still got Stephon Diggs. I mean, what do you expect from Josh Allen uh, this season or this upcoming season? It's interesting you mentioned, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back from the second half of Kansas City. And if you wanted to take comfort in what that will look like, look at how he bounced back from the second half against Houston in the playoffs in 2019 after the wheels came off and he responded with the best season the Buffalo Bills quarterbacks ever had. I think what I'm looking for from Josh Allen is to show that the player he was in 2020 is the player he's, he is, right? That That is the the new normal when it comes to Josh Allen. And it didn't happen overnight. I think that's what's comforting when you think about Josh Allen. He's done nothing but grow dating back to, like, 2017. The player he was at Wyoming to the player he was as a rookie, you know, early in his rookie season to late in his rookie season, early in year two to late to year two, and then what we saw in year three. You know, it's been it's been this linear progression. It hasn't been random. It hasn't been overnight. Uh, it that and I think that I don't think some people maybe don't realize that and they think, oh wow, Josh Allen overnight became this top tier quarterback. No, it's been more gradual. You just focus on him missing throws because that was popular, right? There's the, I, for some reason I feel like there there was a, a belief that you got a sticker or or a cash prize for highlighting bad things that Josh Allen does on the football field. And um, because of that, there's been bad discussion about Josh Allen when when everyone's just focused on the negatives, which is, <laughs> I mean, I can't even begin to, to tell you how poor of a way that is to talk about football players and evaluate football players. That That's all you're seeing is negative, 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 negative. You're losing that this player is growing. You know, this is a player at Wyoming who was only a two-year starter, didn't have a whole lot of attention coming out of high school. And um, there's a lot of doubt about what he was going to be in the NFL. And I had a lot of that doubt, too, right? I wasn't in on Josh Allen. But his traits, his work ethic, his intangibles, the way the Bills have surrounded him, has given him this opportunity to develop. And he's done that. And um, the big thing for Josh Allen is showing that the player he was in 2020 is the player that we can expect for years and years and years to come. Devin, I know you're, you got to leave here shortly. You got any questions for Joe before you head out? Well, you know, since you were talking about the Buffalo Bills, uh, I just kind of want to hear his thoughts on, uh, who do you, uh, who are you eyeing specifically for, uh, that Buffalo, B- Buffalo Bills pick in the, in the first round to, to come in and kind of be the immediate contributor to a team that's, you know, continuing to grow and, uh, you know, looks like a, a potential championship level team. Ready for a really boring answer, Devin? <laughs> it's looking for a good football player at a position that is premium. You're picking 30 in the draft, right? You're not picking like 3 or 10 or even 15. You're talking 30. Like so much has to happen before you. you, you that's why you can't marry any one scenario. You can't go in and say, hey, we have to get a right tackle or hopefully there's a good pass rusher there, a second cornerback. Like there's things that the Bills are going to need for sure. But at right now, not knowing the decisions that are made in free agency, not knowing the 29 players that come off the board before the Bills are on the clock, like just go get a good football player. And and that's I, – I normally – what's funny is I normally get to that point like a week before the draft. You know, I'll be marrying myself to scenarios like, ah, they, they should really focus on one of these two or three guys. And then I'm like, ah, you know what? Throw it all out the door. Just get a good player. Well, I'm, I'm there now, right? And last year, the Bills picked at 54 for the first time because Stefan Diggs was their first round pick. So you wait until pick 54 and it was like a good training opportunity to realize, yeah, there's nothing you could sit here and say you hope happens, right? <laughs> there's, there's no way. And I think the same logical logic applies to 30. Um, and so that's where I'm at with it. Like just get a player that can help the team at a premium position. And so what I mean by that is not a guard. Not a tight end, not a running back. Like, get a player at a premium position uh, that has talent. That's all, that's all I'm looking for. And, and you know, I, I, it's, that's so funny to me. Like, you look at my – I write mock drafts, right? So I receive criticism on mock drafts. And people get married to, like, scenarios. And I'm like, open your mind and, and, and be – think like, have some type of open-minded yes. approach to realizing the different scenarios that could play out. And that they are beneficial. Like people get so married on that first round pick, like it's the only thing that the team's going to do that off season. 
to to help their team. There's an entire free agency period, and there's an entire six other rounds in the draft where you can add talent to your team. Don't sit here and yell at me because I gave you an offensive tackle, and you think the primary need for your your favorite team is a wide receiver. Like that's that's not good. That's not how you have good discussions about anything. So, uh, man, I'm I'm rambling today, guys. But I, I just want a good player at a at a premium position for the Bills. Hey, to pick look, Joe, listen. You can ramble as much as you want on this podcast. Get it all out while you can. You know, you're probably not going to have a lot of opportunities. I mean, you'll, you'll definitely be, you and Kyle are definitely going to have some bickering throughout the next couple of months, but I, I totally agree with you. Like there, and, um, our, our colleague Dante Colonelli, um, he, he deals with this with, um, yep. Dolphins Twitter. I know Kyle deals with this with Dolphins Twitter. Like, Fans have such a short-sighted vision of, like, okay, what – this needs to happen. They need to be prepared for any type of scenario. And that's what I've kind of learned um, this offseason with the Carolina Panthers. And we'll get to them here in just a few moments. But, you know, it, it's like you got to be prepared for anything that could happen in this draft, you know? Like, there's no guarantee in this NFL draft. And look, I know, like, we all, we all say Trevor Lawrence, more than likely he'll be the first pick. Again, the first pick, no guarantee as well. You know, I know fans would be like, oh, he's guaranteed number one overall, but you know, nothing is guaranteed in this draft. Nothing is guaranteed in the NFL. Period. Right. Like, and so fans need to understand you're, you're also not going to get all your needs taken care of via the draft. Like you're not going to get all your needs done in the off season in free agency or the draft. You're still going to have holes on your team. And it's the same way every year, every year and every off season fans do this. So, you know, Hey Joe, listen, you're rambling on, keep going with it. We love it. This is a place for you to just get everything off your chest. So keep it at, keep at it, bro. Um, Another thing I want to ask you is like JJ Watts on on the market, yeah. and the Bills have kind of been named as a potential destination. Um, do you think JJ Watt could be a Buffalo Bill this upcoming season, or do you think the Bills will attract or will go after other needs, some of their bigger needs? I think there's a good chance of it, uh, and that's not just me being like a Bills homer and like wanting it to happen. I think if you look at like DraftKings and Bet Online, their odds have uh, the Bills like in the top two or three. Uh, you've heard reporting uh, recently, I think, from Josina Anderson that the Bills are among the uh, the half dozen team or so that have expressed interest, and JJ Watt has mutual mutual interest back in them. And so, yeah, we should be talking about this as a real possibility, and I think it would be a great move for the Bills. Now. There's some salary cap gymnastics that are going to have to happen for the Bills to get that done. Um, but the Bills, they want to have a deep defensive line rotation, and they tried to build that last year. And there were some whiffs, I think, with some of the players they brought in. Mario Addison didn't meet expectations. Uh, Vernon Butler proved to be the same player he's always been, which is kind of below average. Um, Starla Tulele opted out. Trent Murphy can't help the team. You know, Ed Oliver didn't take a step forward like we hoped he did. So it's like Jerry Hughes is still playing well, and you have some intriguing rotational players. But, you know, what they were swinging for didn't really come together. And, and Jared and Devin, look, the Bills had the most expensive defensive line in the NFL last year, $51 million. No team had more invested in a defensive line than the Buffalo Bills, and um, it didn't meet expectations. And so I think when you have the opportunity to correct that in in a very easy way, Bring in J.J. Watt, who, you know, I, I think he was among four players last year, like Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, uh, uh, himself, and I can't remember the other player that was in the top ten of both pressure or, or pass rush win rate and double teams. He was double teamed the most of any team in the uh, player in the NFL, thirty percent, three percent higher than number two, Zadarius Smith. So I'm mean, JJ Watt's still playing at a high level. He played over 90% of the snaps for the Houston Texans last year. He's the same age that Reggie White was when he signed with the Green Bay Packers in free agency. So there's good football left in in JJ Watt and I think I think it's a great way for the Bills to kind of correct 
what they did with that defensive line by bringing in a player like Watt who can play inside and outside and give you some difference makers, right? Like, well, you'd love for A.J. Epinesa to take a step. You'd love for Ed Oliver to take a step. But, like, you can get J.J. Watt also in addition to those things and really kind of give yourself those answers that you were looking for. So I'm very hopeful that it comes together. I recognize that while I, I say that, you know, the Bills do have two starting offensive linemen that are free agents in John Feliciano and Darrell Williams. Darrell Williams, by the way, good football player. Uh, I know that that sounds weird because he struggled that last year in Carolina. That's because he's not a left tackle, buddy. I mean, he's he's not a left guard or a left tackle. He's a right tackle. That's where he could play, and he played damn good for the Bills. He, he was misusing Carolina yes. so badly. But he's so he's a free agent. Matt Milano, a key linebacker for the team's a free agent, a lot of key depth players. So, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too here. If you bring in JJ Watt, you're making a concession somewhere else. Uh but I, I think I think that would be a good pivot and unexpected opportunity to pursue and you know, you piece it together at linebacker or something like that. But you get JJ Watt in the building if you can. Yeah, man, like JJ is it. There was some talk of him like, oh, his play is declining. Like, I don't know where that talk came from. He's still an elite player at the at his position. He can still get you ten sacks a year. He can. He is. I think he he should be a threat to potentially lead the league in sacks almost every year. Honestly, because he is that good. And if you have an opportunity to get JJ Watt on a team friendly deal, which honestly, like. I I have a feeling he's going to take a team friendly deal for anyone. He's like, probably going he to have to, right? Nobody yeah. has cap space. Nobody does. Yeah. I mean, like, you know who has cap space? The Jaguars, the Jets, the Patriots. You think he's going to those teams? So if he wants to play for a contender, which has you know they said his priority is is you know a contender with a good quarterback and then personnel around him and then three is money. Like if that's truly his his priorities, then. He's going to have to take a concession when it comes to salary because if he wants to play for the Packers or the Browns or the Bills or the Chiefs or the Buccaneers, something like one of those teams that are kind of in it or Baltimore, whatever team, insert contender, you're not going to get, you're not going to get Aaron Donald money, bud. You're not, it's not going to happen. Not, not this year when the cap's going to be 180, 185 when the expectation was it for it to be 215. Everyone's got problems. Everyone's going to have to plug this together somehow. So it, it, JJ wants to go get that Super Bowl. It's going to come uh, at at a you know not getting a market deal for him. Devin, I know you got one more question for Joe before you head out. So take it away. Yeah, I was gonna uh, kind of go back to what you were saying about you know regional scouting. Uh, I was gonna ask: Is there a prospect that uh, you know coming into doing that that you weren't expecting to to really catch your eye, but? you know, over the course of the season has really impressed you and, and, and raised your stock over the course of the season? Oh, man, I a lot of guys. I think here's, here's how I want to answer that, Devin. I think I had players that opted out that left me with a lot of questions. I think about Jalen Twyman, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh. Uh, I think about, yeah, he's kind of the, he's kind of the poster boy for that discussion. Like I just needed to see more from him, and he didn't play. And then I think about players that I didn't like as much in the summer that got better, right? And two names I'll give you. Uh, one of them's Christian. One of them's Christian Darrisaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. I thought he was really inconsistent in 2019 and um, had no control of his frame. Timing was bad. Just didn't trust his technique, and and he was all over the place. I think he's a top 15 player in the class now because he played and got better. I, I also think about Diami Brown from North Carolina. I thought that Daz Newsom was the better North Carolina receiver, you know, in summer scouting. My, my opinion's completely flipped. I think that Diami Brown should be a top 75 pick. And, um, you know, he really developed his route tree and his ability to run routes to go with the speed and the vertical ability and him being fearless over the middle. I think he became a more complete player. So, you know, I, I really think about the players that I thought needed to play but didn't, and then I think a lot about the players that played and got better, and that's what really stood out to me as I as I think about surprises for my region. Right. So, Joe, it's now just the two of us. So I want to talk some Panther football. I know we we're both from we're both we both live in North Carolina. I'm in Asheville, you're in Charlotte, and we we hear Panthers football, we follow Panthers football 
a lot. And I know um, your wife is a big Panthers fan. So I just want – I got to know. What's going to happen with the Panthers at quarterback? I I I, I got to know your opinion on this. Something. I'll tell you that. Something's <laughs> going to happen. Right. And, and, and I, here's the thing. With Carolina, and now that I've watched the top quarterbacks in the draft, obviously I was dialed in on Trevor Lawrence and all the other bad quarterbacks from my region. But now I've gotten to Justin Fields and, and, uh, and Zach Wilson as well. And, uh, you know, I've really fleshed out my opinions on those players. And I think Carolina has to do whatever it takes to get Fields Wilson or Deshaun Watson like you have to get one of those three players in my mind and obviously picking eight doesn't help and you know you'd love to lost that Washington game so you're picking three and this is a non-issue but that's not where we're at right and I think I think the Panthers made a huge mistake by signing Teddy Bridgewater because Teddy Bridgewater was always going to be that quarterback that was just getting good enough to get you outside the striking range for picking one of those top quarterbacks right yep. you just, Five wins. There's too many wins, right? And, and the fact that there was so much new with this Panthers team, like schematically, personnel, like you didn't know what you were getting. And so early in the season, weren't they like three and two? Like at, at one point, they were like they pretty were, decent. They were three and two at one point. Right. Yeah. So they finished five and 11. And like, and, and I think that was just a, that those three wins were an example of you have a, a young team that wants to prove themselves like players around these, these coaches. And then just nobody knows what the, what to expect, right? Like you didn't know there's no tape on this team. And so it levels out, right? You saw like the real Panthers towards the, the end of the season as things moved along, but Teddy Bridgewater was always a mistake for this team because I thought this team had to focus on coming away with Fields or Lawrence going into the year right now, Wilson emerged, Absolutely. and then Absolutely. they didn't do it. And and Jared, they also didn't trade back last year. They just sat there and picked that, Derek Brown. That's what annoyed me so much, dude. And look, I, Derek Brown, good player, good pick, but you have to recognize where you're at in your life cycle. And they needed to be stockpiling assets so they can mm-hmm. go into this year with more and like have something to jumpstart your rebuild. They never did one single thing to give themselves assets to jumpstart and really just like stockpile picks or like get tons of cap space. They didn't do any of those things. So now here we are and you're like, okay, Dave Tepper goes out and and writes a letter to all the season ticket holders and stuff and says, Hey, embrace yourselves. We're going to have to tear it down a little bit before we can build it back up. But we're committed to building a long-term winner here. We got the program builder in place and Matt rule. Like he set the expectations that we're going to suck this year. And then they went out there and like kept one toe in the water when it comes to bringing in veterans and bringing in Teddy Bridgewater and obviously keeping Marty Herney around really spoiled that because Marty Herney probably says, well, damn, if I'm going to keep my job here, we got to win. So like you never really felt like you got that alignment, like, and and the course that we're going to lay out. It's like, dude, you got the Saints and Bucks in your division. You don't have a chance. Like be honest about where you're at. Like what was the point of winning five games this year? So I know like, there's a lot of information there, but at the end of the day, the way that you correct this is come away with Wilson, Fields, or Watson. I don't care which one you do, right? Like I don't, I don't care which one. Obviously, Watson's the the proven NFL player that I think is a uh, an elite quarterback in his prime that's going to be good for a long, long time. Like you want to talk about jazzing up the fan base, get that Clemson quarterback up 85 in here in Charlotte, and people are going to be going crazy. Like I want that for my wife. And I also want Deshaun Watson not to the Miami Dolphins, right? So there's an added benefit to that. But hey, if that doesn't work out, go go make that move to pick number three and get Wilson or get Fields and have that young player in place uh, that you need, right? Because you just if you're going to be in QB purgatory, and I don't like the quarterbacks next year, right? Like, and if you got it's the same situation, Jared. What you're going to go win six or seven games next year? You're going to be outside the striking range again. So they're got to be real careful. Go make that move right now to get your quarterback. Right, and I've seen they – it definitely looks like this team, the Panthers, are committed at wanting to get a new quarterback. They were in on the Stafford trade. They almost got Matthew Stafford. Yeah. But at the same – there were a lot of fans, though, that were like, if the trade happened, if the trade was made that Stafford was going to come to Carolina – I don't think the fan base would have liked that one bit because I think 32 year old quarterback It's with you're giving a pick number eight for him. I get it. Yeah. You're a young team. 
But that further confuses me, Jared. Like, what? What does this team want? Like, where are they? Are they rebuilding or not? <laughs> it, it. I, I honestly don't know what the hell is going on with Carolina. Like, what they're trying to do. I, I'm just hoping they are just trying to rebuild this team the way that fans are hoping that they can one day be in the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl. You know, that's the goal. That's the goal of, or that's the end goal of this rebuild. To get to the Super Bowl. Don't you feel good about being in the NFC though? Like seriously, yes. like I feel like the damn thing's wide open. You're gonna have like another year of Brady and like Rodgers is at a high level, but like to me that path of of becoming one of the contenders in the NFC like in a short period of time is pretty uh-huh. clear because you don't have Mahomes and, and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and you know what's happening in Cleveland. Like, like you feel like the the landscape of the AFC for the foreseeable yes. future is kind of in place. The NFC is kind of like, all right, who's it going to be? Why not us? Why not us? Exactly. Here, here, here's something that really it, it amazed me last year how close Carolina came to winning so many football games. A lot of their games came down to final drive, and they couldn't get it done. I I really feel like. They get either Wilson, Fields, or Watson. They're they're going to be in the playoffs. I that's just where I am because it's just they're so close. They're a competitive football team with a lot of young talent that's hungry, and all they need is that one guy that can elevate them over the top to help them win the games they couldn't last year. Now they have a chance of doing that if they can get Fields, Wilson. Uh, Watson. Heck, if they, if they can get Trey Lance too, and Lance somehow impresses throughout training camp, beats out Bridgewater somehow for the starting job, you know, you got a chance there too. But, you know, it, it's like, this team is better. I, I think they're, they still have lots of holes. I mean, you, you, you look at the offensive line and if they don't bring back Taylor Moton, they're screwed. I'm as simple as that. But and Taylor Motown needs to be top priority for that football team, and also they need good starting corners as well. I mean Dante Jackson, he he's been inconsistent throughout his career in Carolina, um, and he dealt with a turf toe injury throughout the season, had to leave games at times, and it really hurt Carolina overall throughout the season. But Jackson, when he when when he when he was more consistent, he looked good. So I mean. They have a lot of needs on that on that team, but they are a competitive, hard-fighting young football team that's going to be in on every game next year. And I I had that feeling coming into last season that they were going to be in on every game. Well, here's the concern, Jared, and that's a good thing. Right? You want to be in on games, but you have to find that difference maker at quarterback because yes. – Dude, nobody cares if you go seven and nine or eight and eight, nine and seven, like maybe back to one of the playoffs and you lose in the first round. That is so hollow. That doesn't, you're, you're just like one of those like middling teams. Like being mediocre is the worst thing you can be in the NFL. And like what you have to be careful of is not thinking to yourself, well, if we can get everything else on the roster up to par, you know, we can get by with a Teddy Bridgewater. Because you're never good, you're never gonna go on deep postseason runs with that. I was listening to Tyler Dunn's podcast. He's a he's sensational. Really plugged yes. in on a lot of markets. One of those being Buffalo. So obviously I'm dialed in. And he has Jim Monos on his podcast. I don't know every time or not, but I usually hear Jim Monos on there. Jim Monos was in the front office with the Bills for a long, long time. You know, he was there. You know, for a good part of that 17 year playoff drought. And he's talking about the bills now. And then, you know, obviously he talks a lot about his time there and he said, dude, we banged our head against the wall for years and years and years, trying to find a quarterback that can get us to eight and eight. And and, and that's dude, that's a problem. Yes. So he's like, he's like, man, they got their guy in Josh Allen. Like they have that player. And so now like the ability to build the team, you know, takes on so many different opportunities because you have your quarterback that can take you, two deep postseason runs. I mean, the Bills are in the AFC Championship game. They didn't. They weren't competitive in that game, but they were still a game away from the Super Bowl. So don't – see, that's that's where I get nervous. Like, don't sit there at pick number eight and draft somebody that's not a quarterback, right? Because you, it doesn't matter. It's hollow. Sure, 
They can be a scrappy team. They'll get better. They can maybe get seven, eight, nine wins. But then you're stuck. Then yep. you're friggin' stuck. You got to get that difference maker at quarterback, and and I think you have to 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 pursue that right now. Absolutely, I think. And you know, coming into the off season, like after the season ended, I was like, you know, little hesitant, like about you know. Should we sit at eight? Should we trade up? Should we trade back? But now hearing that the Panthers are actively in the quarterback market and both for, both for the draft and Deshaun Watson and even free agency, you know, that's a sign that this team, like they know they can win football games. They just need that difference maker at quarterback. One thing I want to ask you about Watson is if a trade were to happen with Carolina, what what is the cost? What do you is it three first round picks and a player like maybe even McCaffrey or a couple young defensive starters? Is it go, could is there a possibility it could the cost could be a lot less than we're expecting? Is that a possibility? No. <laughs> so that's the that's the thing here, Jared. We don't have a you know normally when we talk about trades, I can point to something that's happened in the past and say okay. Well, there's the framework of the deal. We've never seen a 25-year-old elite quarterback in their prime on the market like this. It's it's not the Carson Palmer situation. It's not uh, the Jay Cutler situation. It's not Drew Bledsoe. It's it, it, this is this is unheard of, and it's going to cost a lot. Now, where you have leverage is that Deshaun wants out, right? He's not going to play for the Texans. So, like Houston can be in denial mode all they want. And the messaging from Houston should be, yeah, we're not trading Deshaun Watson. Of course. Yeah. Of course that's what you need to say. But in terms of what it's going to take to get the deal done, yeah, I mean, like, the, the the rumbling has been two ones, two twos, and two defensive starters. All right, well, maybe you don't do exactly that. Maybe you give up three ones um, and Christian McCaffrey and – I don't know, Shaq Thompson. I don't something like that. Shaq Thompson's probably a bad example because they're set at linebacker. But maybe they want um Yeter Gross Matos. Maybe it's Gross Matos, three ones and McCaffrey. It's something it, it's gonna it's gonna yeah. sting, man. It's gonna sting. But you know what stings worse than that is not having a quarterback. Exactly. And you know I love McCaffrey. I love him to death. Excellent football player. He wasn't healthy during last season. He only played three games. And, you know, it's just like, okay, you're going to need someone to replace McCaffrey at some point if you decide to re- to let go of him or a good change of pace back like he had with Mike Davis. But, and also, like, you know, he's a fan favorite and whatnot, but, you know, running backs are the most they're the most replaceable position in football. Mm-hmm. You can go out, you can draft a running back in the sixth round, and they could end up becoming one of the best in the league. You know, you could grab a undrafted free agent, a priority undrafted free agent, and he can become one of the best in the league. And we're seeing that with James Robinson in Jacksonville. He's like he had an incredible rookie year. I don't. It wouldn't. It would hurt for Panther fans to see a fan favorite like McCaffrey go, but getting Watson and understanding what the weapons you have, like Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and and probably a more a younger and better roster than what Houston has right now, you got a chance of being in the playoffs every year. You're in contention in the playoffs every year. Heck, you're in the you're in. It could be a little reach, but. In a couple of years, when the cap space is better, you could be in contention for a Super Bowl sooner than later. That's that's a good thing with Watson. Personally, I don't see a Watson trade happening in Carolina. That's just me. But you know, I, I expect them to go after a young quarterback in the draft, trade up for one like Fields or Wilson. That's just where I am right now. And I think they should. And here's the thing, like. The reason you shouldn't dismiss Watson is because Dave Tepper is your owner. Yes. And like Dave Tepper, 
I think slowly but surely people are kind of learning more about this guy. He's a very aggressive human being. Look at how he built his wealth, you know, kind of just leveraging the collapse of the banking industry and buying up a bunch of stocks and then becoming a billionaire based on uh, the government bailouts because he bought up all the stock at a cheap price. I mean, he's this dude is aggressive. I mean, I, I, there's things I probably I can't even say on this podcast, but he's very aggressive and he's going to get what he wants and he's loaded with money. And if he wants to go get Deshaun Watson and says whatever it takes, I mean, that means there's no limits, right? He will do it. And, um, you know, that's why I can't count Carolina out. I know that Miami can offer more right now, right? Because they have pick three, they have pick 18. They have Tua. Um, you know, they have Tua that might be interesting for Houston. So there's, you know, that's going to be tough to compete with. But if, if Houston's willing to not get the two first round picks this year and are willing to kind of like take them over the course of multiple seasons, you know, look, Carolina can get that done. Absolutely. I don't disagree at all. At all. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical, but I'm optimistic about the future of the Panthers. You know, the skepticism is from, okay, what are, what are they really doing? But the optimism is, okay, we're a quarterback away, really, a young, good, talented quarterback that can get teams over the top away from being a contender every year. Like, that's how close Carolina is. All right, I want to talk some draft. Um, you know, it, and I'm slowly looking, watching draft prospects. And like I mentioned earlier, I was watching JC Horn and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is a good football player. I love, I love Horn. And I tweeted out right before the podcast, he graded out as my CB2 with a half point lower than Farley and a half point higher than Sertan for me. So he, he is definitely one of my guys, one of the guys I'm higher on in this draft so far. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to get through all the top guys, all the top names, but who are some of your guys that like, you're like, I'll pound the table for this dude consistently all day, every day. Mm, a lot. See, you know, what's fun about that is I haven't, I haven't paid a, t- a lot of attention like to the consensus group think out there. So when I say that I'm pounding the table for my guy, like it just kind of makes sense based on my own world because I, I, right. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leveraging myself against myself. So I don't really know. I don't know what's aggressive or not. I just know where I value the players. Uh, but when I think about players that I really, really love that I think, you know, I just have a lot of confidence in, I think I start that conversation. We'll, you know, we'll put the quarterbacks aside here. Mm-hmm. I, I really like Caleb Farley cornerback from Virginia Tech. I mean, size, athleticism, fluid hips, quick feet, um, their willingness to just give him a third of the field and say, yeah, we need you to take care of that, and he does. I mean, what he give? I think the the passer rating against his coverage last year was, or in 2019 was like 26 or something yep. like that. Just unbelievable. And, dude, teams would play into that. You'd watch offenses. They'd go three by one with uh, with Farley isoed up over the, the receiver the, the one receiver side, yeah. they'd have the post safety on the opposite hash of Farley and teams would try to go after him and it didn't matter. Like he's that good in coverage. Like, and, and it's what's exciting is only, he was a high school quarterback comes to Virginia tech to play receiver transitions to corner. And like, is only there for like a year and a half and he's got elite tape by the way. He's balls. I mean, he's the total package. You wish he didn't have the ACL tear. I know he had back spasms in 2019, but my goodness, his film that year was just exceptional. So I have a lot of confidence in him as a player uh, in this year's class. So he's kind of like the poster boy for my guy this year. And I, I think most people kind of view him as a top two corner, uh, but uh, I'm really in on him. Farley is, oh, dude, I love him. I love him. Definitely one of my dudes. Um, I liked Farley during the summer scouting process. Like when watching his tape, I'm like, this is going to be a good football player. And I, I, you know, he does have his weaknesses in zone. Um, that's going to be something he'll need to work at. But, you know, every, the thing, what he does, shutting down an entire portion of the field mm-hmm. and his athleticism, speed, size, his length, like, you want that in a cornerback. 
You want that. And the talent he can and the player he can become, ooh, I, I'd, I'd want that on my team. And, you know, if Carolina actually had a quarterback, you know, if they had <laughs> you take quarterback, him yeah. I, I would pound yeah. the table for Farley at no eight. Doubt. But, you know, it, it, it's fun to watch Farley. It's fun to watch Horn. And speaking of Horn, like, I really love him at the line of scrimmage, physical mm-hmm. corner. The part, the thing with me, um, it, or the thing that bothers me a little bit with Horn is like he can be very grabby, and that mm-hmm. has, and I saw a lot of PIs, a lot of them, um, but that's something he'll need to work on at the next level. But I really like his tape. That Auburn game, ooh, special, yeah. special tape, like some of the best tape I've seen. Um, for any prospect that I've watched so far. And a couple of games that I watched, like, I was like, wow, this is some of the best tape of this draft class. Jalen Waddle against Missouri and Justin Fields against Clemson. Yeah. Sh- and Missouri, that's a good call. Missouri, that, yeah. that was the, I did Waddle this past week because, like, like I said, I'm kind of, I'm catching up now. Yeah. I did Waddle and the first game I watched was Missouri and I'm like, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, <laughs> I thought this guy was 5'10", 182. He's out here, you know, mossing guys. And that's what's fun about him is he's so he's such a great separator. And he gets vertical. Yeah. Uh, and he creates a ton of vertical separation. But there's a lot of times that Mac Jones just doesn't have the arm to get it mm-hmm. to him. So these these situations where he's got five, seven yards on on the DB turn into a contested catch because the ball's underthrown. And dude goes back and gets it every time. I, he, he, I think he was uh, – I think he was – if I'm not mistaken, I think he was like six of six in contested catches down the field or something yep. this past year. And I'm like, goodness gracious. Yeah, Waddle, uh, wide, Waddle is wide receiver one for me, by the way. Yeah, same here. Um, I'm trying to pull up my grades here. Waddle is currently my player three. Wow. Okay. Don't, I, uh, listen, I don't hate it. You, you, here's the thing, like, He's going to be a dynamic field stretcher. He's going to create after the catch. I think you use him as a punt returner, like big plays everywhere. Yes. Obviously, the, the 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 concern comes like, okay, is he really going to be your like number one receiver that you funnel your passing game through? Right. You don't necessarily feel like he checks that box for you, but my goodness, the way that he impact impacts the game, like in terms of those big plays right. that nobody can run with him, but also like the spacing, right? Like you, because you have Waddle on your team and, and your your alignments and how how defenses are going to have to cheat and like pay attention to him. It's going to create a lot of spacing uh, opportunities for the rest of your team. So it's like, it's not just what he does with the ball. You know, it's, it's how he affects your scheme and how yeah. teams have to play you. Waddle is, I, if I remember correctly, CD lamb last year ended up being, I, I've, I've only been doing this since 2018. 2018 was the first year I started really grading players and scouting them. Um, and that was when I was a junior in high school, but when, but this year Waddle is now my highest grade graded receiver, or he's tied for being my highest graded receiver, uh, with CD lamb. I mean, this, this is a dude that's going to be an immediate impact at the next level. Um, dare I say a Tyreek Hill type impact at oh, the next level? That's what you ask Jordan Reed. That's the name Jordan Reed said in our scouting meeting when we talk Waddle. And, and you think about some of that orbit motion and mm-hmm. you know what they'll do with Waddle behind the line of scrimmage and think about some of the things that Kansas City does with Hill, and it's the same stuff. Like, stylistically, that's a good comp. No, you're not going to go and, like, say that it's the same player. Like, oh, if you draft Ty- Jalen Waddle, you get Tyreek Hill. But I think stylistically you're getting that type of player. And yeah, absolutely. that's a top ten pick to me. Absolutely. Um, how How high do you think he could go? That's what's tough is – you know, you've probably learned at this point is like you have two different hats with this draft stuff. You have your your evaluator hat and you have your forecaster hat, and they're two different things. So, <laughs> I don't know. The NFL might like Jamar Chase the best. They might like Devonta Smith. They, you know, I don't know. Like they, any one of those three teams, and then you ask yourself, well, does Miami take one of them at three? You know, you've got uh, you got Philly as a potential receiver spot. The Giants. Sure, like any one of those spots are, are in play in my mind. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that I think they have a the highest he can go is three and the lowest is twelve, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um oh 
I feel like I had a mock draft of him. He just fell to Washington. Oh yeah, that, that, and then it's over. That's <laughs> turn turn the card in. But hey, man, like we say that, but C.D. Lamb fell to eighteen. Right. You know, I mean, like somehow a team picked Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson. That's something that really happened. And that's right. like going back to what you said earlier in the podcast. You never speak in absolute terms when it comes to the NFL draft. However, sir, people do that. Look at any one of my mock drafts and read the mentions. That will never happen. This will never happen. I'm like, all right, like what, I, what you've learned nothing in your entire life about I, following I hate, the NFL. I hate that so much. I mean, I, I mean, I brush it off at this point. Like it's, it, to me, it's just like noise. But, I want to ask you about Justin Fields. Um, oh. there's a narrative out there that is like he can't, he's a one read guy. Uh, can't and I'm like, that's total BS. That is BS. What I saw on tape was Ohio State running a lot of option routes with their receivers, and I think that's yep. what Fields was doing, was waiting for those receivers to make a decision on their routes. Yep. And why cross? Like, every single play has that tight end running across the field, right? It's yep. not his damn fault. So are we are we doing, are we going to have the Justin Fields conversation right now? Because he's QB2. He's QB2. Yeah, I like him better than Wilson. And, um, you know, look, look, here's the thing. I love Wilson. If I had the third pick in the draft, I would pick Zach Wilson, and I'd be really, 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 really happy. But here's the deal with, with Justin Fields in my mind. This is why yeah. I have Justin Fields as QB2, and we're comparing him to Zach Wilson. Yeah. Fields has better size. Yes. He's a better athlete. Yes. I think he has a better arm. I think yes. he's more accurate. There's yes. a significantly larger sample size of top production against significantly better competition when it comes to fields. We can't forget that 2018 and 2019 happened for yes. Zach Wilson. So if you want to sit here and be concerned about a, a down game against Indiana or Northwestern without Fields' top two receivers, go look at, go, yeah, go look at Wilson. Go, go watch look. Wilson struggle against Hawaii and San Diego State and uh, it, it, Boise, right? right? Like like Coastal Carolina, like okay. Not the same. Wilson has injury concerns. I think there's some merit to some of the personality concerns that come up with Wilson. Fields is a better runner with the football. And the high-level plays that Fields makes are more translatable to the NFL than what Wilson does. And this is the last thing I'll say. The, the The dumbest knock that I see on Justin Fields is he's an Ohio State quarterback. Oh, my. I hate that. It's so bad. Let me tell you why so many Ohio State quarterbacks have had meaningful college careers but never did anything in the NFL. It's because they're they're athletes turned quarterbacks. Terrell Pryor and Braxton Miller and JT Barrett. These guys are all aren't quarterbacks. They took an athlete and made him play quarterback. I know that Dwayne Dwayne Haskins, like, yeah, he was a one-year starter as pocket passer. He was not the mole. You want to talk about Cardell Jones? Like, Cardell Jones doesn't can't control his arm. That's not because he's an Ohio State quarterback. You know, like Joe Burrow went to Ohio State. Does he get credit? Common sense with it. You know, it's is Justin Fields a Georgia quarterback? I I don't know, man. Like, I'm not. If I have the second pick in the draft, I'm taking Justin Fields. Yeah, I agree with you. Fields is my QB two. Wilson is my QB three. I don't fault anyone for having no Wilson at QB two. Jared, there are three elite quarterbacks. If they had him at QB one. If they had Wilson at QB one, I'm I'm out. I'm totally out. All the way out. I need the poop hat. That's <laughs> <laughs> listen. I disagree. I disagree with having Zach Wilson as QB one. But I will say we have three elite quarterbacks this year. I don't yes. remember a draft where I felt this good about all three of the top guys. And so, like, I'm not going to hate however you stack them up. As long as your process is good and it's defensible, like, and you can tell me why. I don't care about your rankings. If you just give me a list of players, it means nothing to me. I need to know why they're in the order that they're in there. I care more about what you say about players than where you rank them. So tell me why, but I can accept any any outcome of those top three as long as your process is defensible. Yeah. With with Fields, I feel like we're doing the same thing we did with Fields when what we did with Watson. Yeah. It, it seems so similar. Watson was incredible. He had his issues, but he was still incredibly talented. And he went to Houston and turned and put on an incredible rookie year before tearing his ACL, came back, and now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, now on the trade market <laughs> because Houston doesn't know how to run an organization, and they're trusting Jack Easterby to do stuff. I mean, it's just, 
it's, it annoys me so much when a team or an organization doesn't know how to take care of its players and their star quarterback. It annoys the crap out of me. I don't disagree with you, man. Um, they've fumbled that significantly and they're paying the consequence for that. Deshaun Watson doesn't want to be there. So they, he doesn't, they don't deserve to have him. I, I want to ask you something. How it, you're, you're starting an NFL team. Yep. Where do you start? Do you start in the trenches and then go quarterback or you go quarterback and start in the trenches? Quarterback. Yeah. Really? Quarterback. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, I feel like it would be important to get your, get the trenches secured, get a good offensive, build a good offensive line, a good defensive line, and then get your quarterback. But if you can get your quarterback and still build a good offensive line and a defensive line, that's fine too. But I feel, just from my experience and from when I was playing football in high school, I felt like having a good offensive line and a good defensive line was a, was key to having success. And I don't disagree with you. Football yeah. games are won in the trenches. Absolutely. But I think I think your opportunity to build your trenches, there's a lot of ways to do that. Right. I, there's only so many like elite. There's only so many quarterbacks that I think you can win a Super Bowl with. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I put the onus and value on the quarterback is because I think there's like 10 guys that can do it. So I want one of those 10 guys. I, I mean, there's probably 30 good players at every position on the, you know, in the trenches that I can get. I, I, I want to get one of those rare guys at quarterback. Right. Exactly. Um, and you were talking about how the 2022 group, the quarterback group kind of doesn't look that promising. No, I, I, from what I've seen from just the flashes and from the pre- preliminary stuff from just watching other prospects, um, the guy for my, for that group, for me, is Sam Howell, in a lot of ways kind of reminds me of Baker. Um, and I, I know it's, it's way too early to start looking ahead mm-hmm. at the 2022 class, but I, I've always been a fan of that group. I mean, you have talented guys, but they're pretty raw. From the looks of it, um, I was, um, I'm, I ended up, um, doing preliminary stuff, stuff on Amon Ross St. Brown and Slovis, um, he missed him quite a bit. He wasn't seeing the field well. And I think that's just part of what just the rawness of some of these quarterbacks. Um, and it will be really interesting, interesting to see how they'll rebound in 2021. So I just wanted to get that out there. I, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you? Really yeah, I haven't, have I haven't dug in hard on those quarterbacks, but like you said, just kind of watching football, watching other players, you see them a little bit in your, I call them peripheral views. Yeah. Um, I'm not there with Sam Howell. Um, I think, I think he needs considerable. He's going to have to take some considerable strides here with um, footwork, processing. Yes. Uh, I think becoming a more complete player in terms of the parts of the field that he has access to. Um, You want to talk about kindergarten scheme. Let's talk about Phil Longo's passing offense at North Carolina. I mean, um, it's not very translatable. No. Um, So he's a player that I just, I need to see more from and he, he can get there, but I, I'm not there yet. I mean, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, you love the arm, right? Like, the physical traits are there. Um, but, you know, like, there's just – we need guys to step up, right? Like, whether Absolutely. it is Rattler or Howell or we need, the, you know, whatever the next Zach Wilson, Kyler Murray, uh, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes. Like, those guys have to appear. They always do. The Joe Burrows of the world. Right. Like, whoever those players we're not even talking about right now that, you know, wind up being a, a top pick. Like, that, that needs to happen for sure. And – you know, we don't. We're not going into this saying, okay, well, we've got you know Tua and Fields, or we have, or excuse me, we have Tua and, and Herbert, or uh, we knew all along Lawrence and Fields. Like we don't have that right now. Yeah. Uh, so we so we, we need to see it develop. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the 2019 class where we just had no idea what was going on, and that kind of kind of, just a little flashback. I I can remember when Kyle had Brian Lewerke as his preseason QB one. Yikes. Yeah. Hey, yikes. Um, I want to ask you one last question before we get done here. Um, there are plenty of young draft analysts out there, um, myself included. What's some advice 
you could give to any of the young draft analysts out there like myself and others that are probably my age, maybe slightly older, slightly younger, probably still in high school too. What What's some advice you can give to those young draft analysts? Uh, here's, here's what I would say. And I, I could, I could go a lot of different angles with this, you know, about building a professional portfolio, having good interactions and, you know, writing good content and keep learning and all that stuff. And what it comes down to is everybody falls in love with Twitter followers. They fall in love with being right on a player. They fall in love with producing a mock draft, producing rankings. All of those things are great, right? Those are key parts of, of, you know, I think, having a successful run at being a draft analyst. If you want to make it, you have to fall in love with the process. Yes. Like all of those things are, are, are consequences and symptoms of falling in love with the process. You, it's not about mock drafts and rankings and, and Twitter followers. It's about, are you going to take the time to learn the game, watch the game, write scouting reports and, you know, improve your process? Are you going to watch that? fifth and sixth game of a player to make sure that you didn't miss anything? Uh, are you going to, um, you know, be able to make sacrifices in life? You know, like you have to be dialed in on football. Are you willing to not do certain things so that you have that well-rounded opinion, right? So it's not about all those other things. It's falling in love with the process that goes into producing good mock drafts and producing right. good scouting reports and producing good rankings and having takes that people care about. So, um, that's where it comes down to because everybody wants, you know, a blue check mark and lots of Twitter followers and, mm-hmm. you know, to write good mock drafts that people like. Well, you know, that's that's a that's a uh, that's a a symptom of falling in love with the process of doing the job well. And and a lot of times it's a grind. A lot of times you, you're watching. You know, I'm watching players from schools that I don't think will have a chance in the NFL, but I need to I need to approach that player. Like I did Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, yeah. you know, and so, um, you, you know, be scout like you're afraid you're going to miss something and let your process reflect that. So that's what I would say. Fall in love with the process and the detail that goes into doing this job well. I want to give my feedback on that. Um, for for someone that's currently um, in college, taking classes and whatnot, deal, and also planning on potentially transferring to a four year at, um, after the summer, you know, just trying to make the time of, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't have as much homework as I did. So I was able to really get into a lot of the draft prospects. I was able to get to 250, 300 prospects, but now because of the workload I have right now in college, I'm having, I've lowered that to 200 prospects, 175 prospects at least. I want to get, I want to get to at least a good amount of players. So I know like if someone asks me about a, about so and so, I'd be able to give my opinion on that. I wouldn't be really be able to give my opinion on someone that could be a undrafted free agent. I want to, at least give an opinion on someone that could at least be drafted for the most part. But again, no guarantees in the NFL drafts, no guarantees in the NFL overall. But for me, I'm, I'm doing what I can trying to manage my time with trying to, trying to fit in time to watch film on prospects. And really the past few years, since I started doing this, what in spring break has usually been the time where I can just go all in and grind tape all day, all night. Like that's been for me what I've been able to do is I usually get most of my draft evaluations done during spring break. So that's how, that's how I've been doing it throughout um, the last few years. And, you know, I'm pushing myself to be better, pushing myself to be better when it comes to understanding what I look for in different prospects and whatnot. That, that, that's just the young me. That's the immature me in terms of the knowledge base, you know. So I'm still growing here, um, and I'm not perfect. No one's perfect, and I, I feel like some fans may not understand that with draft analysts is that we're not going to be perfect with our evaluations. We're not going to be. Well, know, neither are NFL teams. Look, look at the draft. Exactly, they're bad at this. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. You know, and Marty Herney is a good example of that. You know, just want to give a shot at him. You know, 
screwing up last year's class, man. Damn it, man. Listen, Jared, I like that you said you talked about time management there because, yeah. you know, obviously you're in school and, you know, we have different dynamics. I, I'm really lucky to get to do this work full time. But even within that, time management becomes hard for me. Yeah. And I have all – you would think I have all the time in the world to watch all the players that I want. Well, no. Yeah. I mean, so I still have a life, right? I'm still a husband. Yeah. I'm still a dad. Um, and – like, just remember, like, you asked me to do this podcast, right? And I said, hey, listen, I, I, I need some more. I, I, my schedule frees up at, at this point, and right? So yes. we followed up and we got this in. But during that time, like, I had to prioritize watching these players because, like, right. I, I mean, all 22, the, 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 they're 45, 60 minute cuts just yes. for the offense or defense. Like, if you're going to watch five, six games on a player, do right. the math. And right. you're not watching each play one time. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. And so, um, you know, it, it, I would much rather, instead of watching a fifth game of a player, I'd rather sit here and talk to you and produce content, right? Like, right. But he, in order to do that well, I have to spend the time in the film. So uh, it's it, the time management piece doesn't become easier when this is all you do because then you get more media requests come up and, you know, you have other responsibilities that exist, a lot more administrative work than you ever think uh, right. goes into this stuff. And, and so um, becoming a, a master of managing time uh, is critical for anything that you do in life and certainly with this as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that I, I really hope by, by the time I'm done with college that I'm doing this full time like you are. But, you know, it. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a process for everyone that strives to be, you know, like one of the best out there. You know, that that's what we're all striving for. That's what I'm striving for to help produce content, give the best analysis I can on a draft prospect, give the best analysis I can for if I ever decide to cover the Carolina Panthers full time, along with doing the NFL draft. You know that, you know, it's a it's a process. Everyone's process is different. My process is different. Your process was different. Kyle's was different. Devin's is different. You know, we're, we all have different processes. We all have different mindsets. And that that's that's just how it is. Um, Joe, I, I really hope we could like this summer if fans are allowed at training camps. <laughs> right. I, we, we need to meet up, my guy. We, we definitely need to because I missed that last year. That was one of the yeah. things that. COVID that took it, taken away was not being able to go to training camps and, you know, having that yearly meetup that we're, we somehow end up starting, you know? So well, really let's hope, hope it happens. And I missed it as well. So me too. Alrighty, man, guys, thank you so much for listening. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Great conversation. Love talking to you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I thought this was a really good discussion. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man. Guys, thank you so much for listening again. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. And...